0: revolution radio canada my name's craig g hanging out with you here on well we're not exactly sure what this is going to be because we are pre-taping this interview with our two new besties emily and jimmy from metric oh my they're here oh my god <laughs> it's literally this is this is absolutely surreal so we are going to fanboy out over the two of you, just so you're aware. So I hope you're, you're prepared for that. Uh, with me, as always, is my man, Dimitri Alexiu. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll do all the, the, the formalities later on. Anyway, this band that we have to talk about, uh, these two wonderful folks sitting in front of us. Uh, we've got metric today. Nine studio albums, 29 music videos, 70p. Strap yourselves in. We're going to be a while. Oh, uh, 25, 25 <laughs> singles, three soundtrack albums, 10 nominations, so actually 19 nominations, all including 10 nominations with two Polaris <laughs> Prizes, which Polaris Prize happens to be Dimitri's absolute favorite. He's a Polaris Prize oh, fanatic. And we've got nine <laughs> wins, including four Casby Awards, of which I was at one of those Casby Awards when <laughs> you guys won uh, when I worked for CFNY, and and 5 Junior <laughs> Awards as well. We are so thrilled to welcome Metric in the studio today. Welcome. Thank you yeah. so much both of you for coming. We really appreciate you uh we appreciate you guys being here. I mean,
1: that's the, that was the best and longest <laughs> I think we've ever had. That that's was awesome. cool. That was like a
2: ticker tape. I wish to have that sort of in the yeah. shower in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> Not good. Well, listen, as far as I'm concerned, metric or a public utility, uh, you, you guys are just so awesome. We we greatly, greatly, mm-hmm. greatly appreciate your time. So we got a million things we want to talk to you about. So Dimitri, jump right in, my friend. Take it away. Okay, so
3: we have Formentera, or no, Formentera over here. Okay, anyway, so Formentera was released last year. Yeah, and Formentera 2 is released this year. And I'm wondering, just like off the bat, what does Formentera, the name, mean to you guys? Like, yeah, to, it was, um, first of all, I it.
2: mean, I have to reciprocate here saying, like, I just love um, that we get to have this conversation. It's always very cool to be reminded that what we're doing is like, Doing something for you, so um, thanks for the for this for the shout out there at the beginning. It's a good feeling, so thank you. Mm. Um, but yeah, for instance, Sarah, like the concept was, as we all may recall, what our what what the terrible numbers twenty twenty mean to all of us, and we think about the last few years. Um, not that we're exactly in a brilliant historic moment right now either, but the specific time when we all had to face the pandemic and like what to do with ourselves. Um, in the spirit of, I guess, who we are, Metric was like, we're just going to put our heads down. We're going to try to make something beautiful for people. And this concept of like a sonic escape um, and the name Formantera came from being in the studio, like snow up to the ears kind of thing and opening this book that we had in the studio that was like all these beautiful paradise escapes to go to that, of course, none of us were going to, you know, we couldn't even get our rhythm section across the border, right? It was like, that, that era. So we, you know, we turned this page and there's beautiful Formaterra. And the concept came to us of like, let's just make our version of a sonic island paradise that uh, we can all escape to with our eyes closed and our headphones. And it ended up being an 18 song, you know, double album. And we just wanted to have fun with how we released it. We thought it was too much at all at once, right? So yeah. like we'll do the first album and then we'll surprise everybody with uh, part two but the oh, okay. songs are not chronological they're like songs from Formary 2 were actually some of the early ones that we wrote and so it's meant to be this like big sort of if you need if you need an out and you want to like go but you can't physically get out of whatever you're in ideally like metrics here that give you a boost that was the idea
3: okay and um, then and then um so we've so we've been let, let me wait. Okay, now I'm all disorganized. I have all my props here. Okay, so, um, so it's and he been, has them alphabetically and right. and and chronologically, right. too. Yeah, right. right. So, we have it's been 20 years since Old World Underground. Where are you now? And, uh, and you guys, and I think that you guys have really taken a journey in it and uh, and evolved as writers, like especially on the two form and terror albums because. As somebody who really got into Prague during the pandemic, because we all had the time to listen to longer songs, right? <laughs> right. It's like, it, it's like, like, I, I, like, when the first song on Formantera, the first album was Doom Scroller. And now, and now I've been listening a lot to Formantera too, and like really getting into things like Days of Oblivion and, 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 um, Suckers and Descendants and, and, uh, And it seems to me like you guys are isolating or taking different musical ideas and sort of like adding them in, in a way, like not like being less about struct, like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Now Mm -hmm. you're writing more like classical musicians, you know, like, you know, and like, is that fair to say, or do you guys feel like that?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the things that was happening when we were making this, all this music for this double album was, um, we were like surrounded by um, the weirdest version of freedom. It was like, we had all of our freedoms taken away in so many ways and so many other ones given to us, like time and and we went out to the country, so we had yeah. space and uh, we were sort of like stripped of a lot of practical things that you would rely on in life, but we were given a lot of time and a lot of space and um And a lot of the music came out of that feeling like we were we had all this room to experiment and we had all this room to kind of believe in in ourselves, almost because we didn't even know if it was ever really going to get heard. We didn't know if the whole thing was over, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, we felt a little bit like, all right, you're on like a like a 2000 hour flight that's slowly going down. So do whatever you want to do, because, you know, like this is it. You know, and we kinda of went at it with that approach. And and I think that there was there was a lot of moments in the early days of making this this double album where um you know I would kind of sit and like stare out the window at Emily's house where we were making the making this this writing these songs and like just kind of stare at the trees and think like I don't think the trees care what I do. I think they were going to be really supportive of whatever idea we can possibly come up with. So let's go to like the very, very, very depths of like what we're capable of and lose any sort of sense of what might be expected of us from ourselves, from our friends, from our fans, from the world, you know, and just go deep. And I think we, that's, that's kind of what we did. And that's, you know, Doom Scroller was, was one of the first times that we were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, the going deep thing seems to be working." Because we just went super deep and came up with this 11 minute song that has like five or
3: six other songs in it and a yeah. range of emotions. That that that's what felt so proggy to me. It's like you've got like it's like you've got it's like you've written some songs, broken them apart, and then taken the pieces and sort of assembled them in a different way. You know? Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah,
2: and the funny thing too about that is like it it ends up seeming sort of like we knew what we were doing, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in fact, like in particular with Scroller. we've never like, known <laughs> what we were doing. <laughs>
1: that, uh,
2: but with Scroller, like it really was just that this sort of visually, I can describe it like that we were just going forward through the feelings, and like it wasn't done. Like it was like, oh, well, we can't end there. Like there's this other feeling and like, oh, well, that's not, I have this other feeling that then when we hit the like, you know, sort of like blur guitars at the end, the like, which to mm-hmm. me in the height of being deprived of live music and deprived of a living and deprived of our life, the way those guitars sound and that feeling of just being in a room, it's it was like with my eyes closed, it would take me to that, place but it's not like we sat down and we're like let's travel from you know doom scrolling through like a tally of morbidity and and like with our hands in the air like splashing beer on each other but that (laughs) was like what it what it ended up needing to be you know it's
1: it's the the, the process (laughs) for us has always been some sort of like you know, drunk,
0: blind paintball fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would be such an amazing way to write music. Oh my I? god, <laughs> the secret! The secret is out. That's um,
3: it. Yeah. Is it fair to say though that um, had the pandemic not happened, would you have written that way? No, I don't think so. I think
2: interesting. It would have been.
1: I mean, I mean, you know, I, after in summer of 21, or no, twenty two, when we when we first traveled, you know. We went over to Europe and we and we we did some release stuff over there and we did these sort of like cool listening parties and um and it was really like the first time out. I kind of went into this very very deep like a uh, spiritual journey into like what doesn't exist and and I I think I was like dabbling with nihilism for a little while just as a concept you know and. I'm not sure I could ever really have a genuine conversation about what could have happened if something didn't happen, because I've gone too far into nihilism. But it's like there's no there's just no way that we would have found ourselves where we were, you know, like there's no way that we would have gone out to the country and stayed there for nine months. You know, we wouldn't have had, you know, Liam O'Neill, who's a big part of this record, um, who's a friend of ours, longtime collaborator. Mm-hmm. Um and he wouldn't have like, you know, been been with us at all. He lives in Nashville. He plays in Kings of Leon. There was, there's no reason for him to like have been living with me and my wife for a year. You know that. Yeah all of these things wouldn't have happened. We would have been back I was in the- living
2: in LA. Yeah. It was, like, not supposed to be... It's,
1: like, there wasn't any part of our lives that was going in the direction of where we <laughs> found ourselves in June of 2020.
2: Yeah, the detour up, right? Yeah. The, which is yeah. the first track on Formentera 2, you know? Where, like, yeah. there is a sort of giddy, like, borderline insane um, sort of embrace of, like, powerlessness, you know?
1: Yeah. And that was something that from, from the summer of twenty twenty when I, I think a lot of people a lot of people were just in like absolute despair and and a lot of people were in despair and this sort of feeling like Whoa, this is a this is like a totally different life that part of it I actually kinda like. Yeah. And you know, everyone leaves me alone and my computer's does not doing anything and we're having like Zoom parties with like friends and like it was just a completely alternate reality for a little bit
3: you know? Um, So then it must have been, like, so when live music came back, like last year, I saw you guys at, at Budweiser stage. And that was epic. Out of the three times I have seen you guys play live, that was my favorite metric concert. And it was just like, and the thing is, it, there was just an ocean of people. Like I was on the lawns, right? So I, there was this ocean of people separating me and you. And it's, and like, it must've been amazing to be in Toronto with that many people all like celebrating your music. And yeah, so it was a pretty epic night. Yeah. It's
2: because it's like, it's that sweet spot of like that sometimes is confusing where I really do feel like the feeling of that concert, for example, is like, it's it's the exact point of who we are as people and as musicians and like what we're trying to contribute to the world and sometimes it feels like it's not um we're in a different dimension of like what other people are doing or something you know like and then there are those moments when it all lines up and it just feels like we just want to be part of this feeling you know and that everyone ultimately you know with, even without a pandemic it's like people feel so isolated and you know when it comes to like naming your kind of inner landscape and the stuff that people grapple with you know it's like you like a lot of times in i feel like in songwriting it'll be if like you're going to address something dark it's like really fucking sad music but the thing with metric is it's always like let's find the thing mm-hmm. and say it and then you're going to dance your ass off on it. And then you're going to, like, you're going to, like, get out of this sense of being so removed from other people and so, you know, find a universality with other people and just, like, let some shit go. And to hear you say that, that you know, you felt that at that concert, I mean, that's this is what we're trying to do. And I do feel like it's a spiritual, like... You know, when I look out and I feel like that's what's happening, like the dance crying and stuff, it's like really, I'm like, it's good. You're in a safe space. Like, and a lot of times it's like, you know, big, big men, yeah. um, you know, weeping and waving their hands in the air. And I'm just like, I'm alive. This is what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> I was wondering if we could, if we could uh, go back with the two of you, Emily, we'll start with you. Um, just so I'm wondering, cause it's funny. I went up North we go up north for the summer every every year for, you know, maybe a week or so. I drove through Fenland Falls and I'm driving literally through the main street of Fenland Falls and thinking to myself, Emily Haynes lived here, right? Yeah. So, it's you know what I mean? How long were you there for?
2: Um, just as a kid, and then I went to high school in um, Toronto at the Tobico School oh.
3: of the Arts. Okay, yeah, cool. Cool. Where you met Amy, right? Yeah, Amy and
2: Kev,
3: yeah. Yeah, from, uh, from, from, uh,
2: Oh, Stars.
3: Stars. <laughs> there it is. It's all good.
2: Yeah.
0: Emily was well yeah, My you parents
2: would be- were, were like nomadic. Uh, well, nomadic until we came to Canada, but they had me in New Delhi. They had my sister in New Mexico and my brother in New York. And A lot of wow. news. A lot of new. All new. Yeah, yeah.
3: Like they, Great love story. By law, law, they have to do that, right? Like-
2: right? Exactly. And then, but I was, uh, yeah, I, was, I needed to get out of there pretty soon pretty fast. And I was lucky that yeah. teachers in the schools were like, we're going to kind of move you along here and help me get my audition yeah. together. And um, then I was really, I, I really felt more, I felt so lucky to go to Etobicoke School of the Arts and meet my friends. And
0: Would you be able to talk about some of your earliest influences musically?
2: Uh, musically? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, I wish we had, we could, we could talk for years about all the great art in the world that we've been fortunate enough to, here. But, uh, mm. you know, for me, like a super big one, and she actually just passed away was a composer named Carla Bley, very out there, uh, jazz composer who mm. my father actually wrote lyrics for her um, monumental oh, no. album, Escalator Over the Hill. So this is a, you know, Greenwich Village, like, early 60s um, weirdo jazz freak scene is kind of my background through my dad. Um, Fabulous. Yeah I feel very fortunate for that and she was someone who you know that feeling like when you're a kid you just you kind of only later there's just so much that you only later understand of what your environment was and now grasping that like that was just what was around that was just what was on was this woman who started her own label like pulled like went to I believe Berkeley she graduated from you know as an arranger um, you know, totally unique sound as a jazz arranger. arranger she's arranging this whole orchestra. She's integrating this like surrealist poetry from this rogue writer, my dad, Paul Haynes, and starting her own label and distributing everything herself. And and refusing and being not interested in being highlighted as a female artist, but more wants to be seen just as an artist for who for who she is. And I was just like, great, that's what you do, you know.
3: Nice. So yeah. Cuz it sounds a lot like what you've done.
2: <laughs> well, but I yeah. didn't really realize it's only later, you know, I'm like this is this must be normal and then I wonder sometimes why well, I feel like I'm in an alternate dimension and I'm like, oh, that isn't there are other ways." No,
1: it was like like so we did, did did this promo trip in the in the uh, in, in Europe and we played this little acoustic show in London and 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 we walked off stage and it was when you found out that Carl but Carl passed away. Passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And we're in the taxi and the next the next morning going to the train station to go to Paris. And you were reading her, her obit. Right. Yeah. And, and you read it and it was like, it read like your bio and it was, and then, oh my God. And, that's, wow. and that's when it was kind of like, it was oh. kind of like, Oh my God. And you were like, right. I guess that's just who I grew up thinking like, that's just what you do as an artist. That's well, well, let me, let me
3: ask you this because um, we don't have a lot of time left, but um, you guys started off on last gang Records and no. then with so, sort of,
2: we can tell you here. Jimmy's All got right. it. We, All right,
1: we started start, <laughs> the first time we did a record deal that was like that was real, um, because there was other ones that weren't. Um, we signed with it with a company out of Los Angeles called Ever Loving. And, hmm. and it wasn't for uh, this
3: album, was it Grow Up and Blow Away? No, it wasn't. Okay, yeah, that,
1: that that was signed to a different label that didn't happen. The record got shelved, the label got bought, and we bought it back, and when that, and then so the record never came out. Old World Underground.
3: Well, I had um, it, you know. Was well, it did come out <laughs> later?
1: But um, Old World Underground came out. Uh, we got signed. We got signed by, the, by, by uh, this guy named Mike Andrews to his friend's label, Andy Factor, who had Everloving in 2002. And we were playing shows in Los Angeles, and Mike and Andy were coming to these shows. And Mike just came up to us and said, "Hey, my friend owns the label. I own a recording studio. Let's do it." And then we went to a studio. We tried one song. It was the song "The List," I think, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and we liked the experience, and we we're like, great, let's do it. So we, we made a record in his house, and Andy Factor put it out, and and Chris Chris Taylor, who started Last Gang, um, started Last Gang to get to to put out the record in Canada. Um, but oh. the record came the, the record came through Ever Loving. Um, okay. In the, in the beginning, um, and then. And-
3: yeah, From and there, then, and then, we, we yeah. figured
2: out a way. Uh, Chris managed to buy back the rights to uh, Grow Up and Blow Away. So we did um, Live It Out, and then he put out Grow Up and Blow Away, which were the shelved recordings that Jimmy and I had done um, in our time in New York and London.
1: Yeah, exactly. And,
2: exactly. And then, Before Fantasies is when we started Metric Music International, which has been our approach ever since, which is yeah. self-exactly self-releasing with various partners um
3: but owning all our own music and uh rocking it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And um and so do you think given the experience that you've had with Metric Music International do you think that there is a need for major labels at all anymore in this day of streaming and and
1: mm. Oh for some for some
3: artists for sure.
1: Yeah. Um it just kind of depends on who you are, what your goal is, what the needs are to achieve that goal, um, and you know, and and how willing you are to play along and and how willing the label is at the time to allow you to do what you're gonna need to do to become a massively successful artist. I mean if if you're if you're if what you are, are trying to accomplish a lot for what a lot of people are trying to accomplish, major label is the only way to do it. Um, mm. and for a lot of what other people are trying to accomplish a major label is the only way to kill it
2: oh. we fall into that category
1: alright, interesting for us,
2: I feel like a lot of when we've you know we been reminiscing a lot because it's been the 20 year anniversary of Old World Underground and like, you know, thinking back to when Jimmy and I, you know, in the most Canadian thing ever, met at the horseshoe I mean
0: <laughs> doesn't get any more Canadian than that for sure
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs> met at the horseshoe in 98 yeah. we met, it was 98, right and, uh, you know, embarked on this this vision that it's pretty exciting to be, like, you know, still sitting here and chatting with you guys about it and still going strong and planning the next 20, you know. It's like, Jimmy had all sorts of ideas in terms of uh, recording that it's hard for people to remember because now there's just so much access to ways to self-record. Yeah. But, you know, at that time, it was like, we were all getting our minds blown by, like, those Portishead records. And just the idea that yeah. you could get out of that model where... The record you're going to sign a record deal. They're going to give you money, but the money's going to pay for the studio, and you're going to go in, and some guy's going to record you, and that's how you're going to sound. You know, it wasn't a thing to be so upfront about. Like, no, we'd rather can we have the money, buy our own equipment, build our own studio. And you know, Jimmy went to develop into a producer, which she did, and a Juno award-winning one at that. And then for my side, unbeknownst to me, I guess I've had this like subversive kind of like punk rock ethos that I just think the music industry is kind of dumb and I would see things in front of me it's not like I I wanted it to be true but when you can see something's dumb it's hard not for me you know I was like this is so I don't get it this person is now going to own me and own everything I did how are they going to make me into a product it's not going to work yeah. so I had that sort of agenda and then together it's I feel like that's how we ended up being like We just want to disrupt the whole thing and maybe inspire other people, you know, metaphorically in their own lives of things that you take for granted, like this is the only way it can be done. Maybe there's another way to do it that you find exciting that only you can do, you know, like, but I'm with Jimmy. I'm like, for some people, a major label totally works if you, you know.
1: I think that honestly, I think the the crux of it, the core of it, of being an artist is just trying to be as close to who you actually are as humanly possible and the closer mm-hmm. to who you actually are you get the more people will relate to that you know taylor is doing taylor man and she is nailing it and yeah. it's working and you couldn't do that without massive companies to 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 project the the bat signal onto the you know yeah yeah exactly. it's amazing yeah. yeah we are being exactly who we are and and that's only that's been the only goal ever since the beginning. It's so yes, funny. Thank with,
0: you with yeah. oh yeah. Sorry, it's okay, dimitri I've got a couple of more questions here before I Oh excellent. It's all good. Okay. So <laughs> it's so funny for just a second there, dimitri was uh Dimitri's like he is now and I was like this and we're like a mirror image of listening to the two of you and we're both just like <laughs> in love. We're like, oh, Jimmy and Emily. Now not, now I love you do. guys. Okay. So a couple of things. First. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to say was, I think both Dimitri and I would be the first two people to say thank you for one thing very, very specifically. Now, you would probably both be the first people to say as well, a great band has to have great songs before any producer can come in and make things great. But we just both want to say to both of you, thank you so, so much for the beaches And honestly, the the late show is one of the, like, it's just, okay, so that is the greatest sounding kick drum, like the greatest sounding bass drum (laughs) I've heard since, since Creatures of the Night by Kiss in 1982. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, Okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it is so, the production on that record is so good. So thank you both for that. Okay. Awesome. Now, I just wanted to ask, this is a bit of an urban kind of a legend as far as metric goes and i want i was hoping the two of you could like finalize it for us is it true that the two of you were sitting backstage and talking about the rolling stones and the whole thing with the give me sympathy lyric of um who would you rather be the beatles of the rolling stones right that that whole thing did that was that kind of did that come through the two of you talking about okay i'd rather not be this band because they're too commercial this band because they're not around anymore There's an urban legend going around. I don't know if the two of you have heard this where Emily was talking with Lou Reed and Lou Reed said, who would you rather be the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? And Emily said, I'd rather be the velvet underground. I don't know if. Yeah.
2: So that, that is, that is true. It's not the origin of the song. Okay. The song, the reason he asked me that is we met. Okay. And to my amazement, I, um he knew our music and was a fan um and we ended up working together obviously but he yes yeah, on Synthetica
3: so yeah. so, so he, did, the, you did, did did you know each other before Synthetica
2: uh well so we met we met Lee doing a um one of uh the late how who's well has passed away actually an early COVID someone we lost to COVID early on mm-hmm. um but so Legendary, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, Hal Wilner, uh, producer, um, you know, Marian Faithpool, Beyond, like I could, we could spend a whole week talking about I mean, Wilner's work, but he put together these amazing concerts and brought together all kinds of different people and, you know, I would definitely, if you are not familiar, your listeners aren't familiar with Wilner, look him up, it's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but he... Uh, Was putting together a tribute to Neil Young in Vancouver, Mm. and I was included in it thanks to my homies um, Kevin and Brendan from Social Scene. They were like, "This Wilner guy knows all about Carla Blay and your dad, and you should you should meet this guy and you should be part of this." And so I I joined and participated in that uh, uh, Neil Young uh, tribute, and you know, Lou was playing, and so I was introduced to him. You know, why does Lou Reed know Emily Haynes? He doesn't, Like, who cares? But to my complete amazement, he, when he said, oh, like, I was like, oh, hi, I'm Emily Haynes. He said, ah, Emily Haynes, who would you rather be? The Beatles or the Rolling Stones? And I said, the Velvet Underground. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, Bravo. I mean, can you like, believe it can you like, believe i had my shit together enough i
0: mean it's like literally he set you up and you literally knocked it down better than you I could know. ever ever hope to do you know to break yeah. the ice with somebody like lou reed amazing yeah just, and then so cool.
2: we, it was a really it was a great connection and um musical connection and uh, i don't know if you've ever seen the footage of us when he joined us on stage at radio city
0: mm-hmm.
2: um for that concert but that you know it was really like very cool
1: so. but it's true if you think that if you'd said the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? None of that might have happened.
2: Yeah, he, yeah, he, we, yeah. If I'd said like the Rolling Stones, yeah, he might have been like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. whatever way.
0: Yeah, You yeah. <laughs> the whole thing might might be because you said the Velvet Underground.
1: Maybe,
2: maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. So, would you rather be the Rolling Stones? <laughs> No, I'd rather
1: be the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bravo, Jimmy. Bravo. The
2: great thing about it is it's not a lie, which is you know yeah. consistent with Jimmy's yeah. Jimmy's thing. I think there is no greater uh you know detector of bullshit than than Lou Reed. I think that's why he was crusty with people, is he was like bullshit, 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 and
1: he's yeah.
2: like, wow, she's actually not. So it was it was reassuring.
3: <laughs> nice. Dimitri, yeah. So. Thank you so much Emily Haynes and Jimmy Shaw for joining us.
1: Yeah, nice. very, funny.
3: and giving us your time like this. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an ultimate thrill. Awesome. So I'm I'm
1: glad we we hung through
3: the through the tech.
2: Yeah.
0: Tech yeah, difficulties. Sorry about that again. I don't No, uh, no, it's, it's, yeah, maybe,
1: yeah.
2: Maybe you can't use an iPad, yeah. right? You know? Yeah. Really adapt.
0: Exactly. No, we greatly appreciate your time. <laughs> and um yeah, so you've got dates coming up everybody can uh join it's uh i love metric.com yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the metric uh, app they have yeah. their own app oh yeah that's right oh i gotta download <laughs> that. that's super cool uh that's mm-hmm. what actually we're working on with revolution radio canada so we're trying to trying to work on an app mm-hmm. now but anyway right. uh jimmy emily thank you both so much for being that's here true. we greatly appreciate the two of you mm-hmm. and thanks uh, great and honestly, so
2: yeah, nice conversation honestly yeah we'd love
0: to talk to you again so all the Let's best with uh all the best with the rest of the tour and uh mm-hmm. yeah can't wait to hear what's next Thanks, guys. Thank you so have much. Have a great have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks.
2: <laughs> Bye. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers she said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back and that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us. And the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. The Podcast Superfriends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.
0: I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617-